the Word of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. I asked Dave to turn the lights up up here so I can read. <laughs> or I'll have Pastor Ken read for me. Got all kinds of stuff in my pockets. Let me take that phone out of there. I sent out so many notices about it. They just sent me a message. Said I tried to send some share some stuff about tonight, and they said your your account has been restricted. But I sent about 150 notices about our conference coming up in July. <laughs> so I think I overworked it. I don't know why they did that, but. So be it. Do what? Oh. Anyway, spamming. Okay. The only spam I ever liked was the kind you got in a pan, you fried it, and put some ketchup on top of it, or some barbecue sauce. That was the kind of spam that I liked. Some people don't like it. But you know what? I was poor when I was growing up. And my mom made it, and I thought it was a delicacy with a little cornbread and some white beans and ham hock, you know, maybe some turnip greens thrown in there. I just didn't like the smell of turnips when they were cooking, you know. There's a few things you don't like the smell of. Actually, I cooked some turnips in my trunk one time. Some people from Jerry Souter's church, Smith Chapel, when he was a pastor, when I went and preached, they brought me a bag of turnips. I thought, oh, this is nice. So I put them in my trunk, and I forgot about them for about five days. And I started smelling something in my car, opened that trunk, and I'd been cooking those turnips for five <laughs> days in the summertime. <laughs> anyway. I know better than to leave turnips in the trunk anymore. Anyway, we're talking about the church, the ecclesia in the Greek, iglesia in Spanish, and church in English. It's easier to say it in English, isn't it? But uh, the ecclesia, it's a vision for church that I'm talking about. This is part two. We look at Proverbs 29 and 18. It says, where there is no revelation... The old King James says vision, where there is no vision. The people cast off restraint, <coughs> or in the old King James says where there is no vision, the people perish. So what does that mean? It means that people have no restraint against living their life any old way. See, if you've got a goal in life, you've got a goal to accomplish, let's say you're going to buy something and uh, you know then you you save money for it then you're not spending your money here and there just blowing it because you're saving it to purchase something I remember when I was a kid I would work and then I'd take my money and I think I bought about five guitars one drum set and eight bicycles over time by mowing grass, carrying newspapers, you know, by doing that kind of thing, I raised money, income, so that, you know, I could 
have some things that I had a goal of. And, uh, you know, I'd take my guitar sometimes and I'd go down there and I would trade it in with a little bit of extra money. And then that would enable me to get a better guitar. And so, you know, you do things like that. I wish I could have just done a little better on trading cards, but they're a bigger item. But anyway, you got to have vision. God wants us to have vision for a church. And the church is more than a building. It's the people. It's the ministry. It's what's happening around us. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's go there, that's the second text of the night. 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, and it says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said that because he knew everything about the gospel, about the scriptures. He was a scholar. He was a Sanhedrin court member. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee. You know, Zach just got his master's. Well, Paul, if he had some letters behind his name, he probably would have had a Ph.D., a Th.D., and who knows what else, because he was brilliant. That's why God used him to write like half of the New Testament. He, he was so smart and understood the Old Covenant scriptures so that he could put it down in the New Covenant the New Testament. Anyway, he wanted, He made a point. He said, look, all that knowledge and everything is good, but he said, I strive to know Jesus Christ because he was crucified. And that's how we get our salvation. He had the reality of who Jesus really was. What an experience he had. He was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. There's many a man that has had a so-called road to Damascus experience where the Lord has, you know, confronted them with their life and then they turn it over and they become a totally new man or a new woman because of what Jesus Christ did for them. Now, statement number one is this. The key is to preach Christ and Him crucified. If you're going to be successful, there's power in that gospel. Paul wrote that. He said, you know, uh, preaching the gospel to those who's per who are perishing is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so at the right time, the ungodly person hears the message, the anointing grips their heart, and they confess their sin before the Lord, and they believe in Him, and He becomes their Lord and Savior. Amen? So that's a great thing, the power of the gospel. Not everybody gets it at the same time always. You know, you can have a sermon preached, and somebody goes out there and says, that was the most boring speech I ever heard in my life, and the other person was crying their eyes out because the anointing gripped their heart. I've seen it. I did a wedding this week for a couple. Uh, they'd been living together, and and they need. They had a child, and they needed to get their life together. And so I did that 
And you know what? It never ceases to amaze me. They're going to have a special celebration later. But that day, when I did that ceremony, it was very short and sweet. But you know, the bride cried. It never ceases to amaze me. The anointing that's on a wedding ceremony is so powerful that she cried. And uh, many times when I'm talking to people and not even raising my voice, they'll just start weeping when the power of the gospel is being shared. Right place, right person at the right time. And it really works. But I'm going to give you some points here. Number one, to educate is to train by formal instruction and supervise practice with skill, trade, or profession. Now, when we educate people in the kingdom of God, it's for Christian works, service for the saints. It's so that people learn how to do things. People take our ministry school classes, and eventually they can do weddings, funerals. They can dedicate babies like we do. Or they take classes where they can explain the gospel. You know, the scriptures even tell us we need to have an explanation for people when they ask a question about things in the Bible. And I do the best that I know how. I don't always have the answer. It's funny, I had a lady write me on Facebook and ask me a question about a certain passage. I just didn't get it. And then she wrote me back today and said, oh, by the way, I wasn't reading out of the, uh, the right version and said, now I understand I should have been reading so I don't and probably confuse you too well I just told her well I'll look at it later I wasn't even near a Bible at that moment but anyway it's kind of funny you know she answered her own question but uh, we're we're trained so that we can do service we can minister we can help people number two to indoctrinate is to imbue with a partisan or sectarian opinion or point of view or principles. You know, in other words, I can tell you uh, all day long about why we believe in being baptized. By the way, we're going to have a short baptism probably around 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon at our house for those getting baptized. If you know anybody that needs to be baptized, let me know because then I've got to rush off after that and go to my class that I'm teaching. But uh, it's a chance for people to be bagged. I should say baptized, but that wouldn't be right. We don't want to bag anybody. We want to baptize them, baptize them. That uh, we'll put them under the water. John's going to get baptized. I promised I wouldn't hold him under more than three minutes. You know, uh, make sure it gets takes, you know. But anyway, to be indoctrinated is to try to help people gain the right point of view about the word, about what we believe. What do we believe? We believe Jesus Christ came to earth as a man, and yet he was still God. We believe that he was born of a virgin. We believe that he died on the cross to take away our sins, and that he rose from the dead so that we could rise up. That's what water baptism is. It's a water grave, saying the old man has died and the man is now new. And he says it publicly. And so there's something unique and special 
I almost said magical, but that's not right. It's more than magical. It's an anointing that comes on that is tremendous. But uh, the first point was about educating. The second point is about indoctrinating. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 through 24, what do we see there? Isn't that the one that I want to read? Yes. Pastor Ken, read that for me, would you? We'll get it going. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And then read Ephesians, if you would, 4, verse 10 and 11. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he, gave him, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So we see there, they're talking about Jesus Christ. He's the one that descended and he ascended. Well, he descended and went down and preached to those who were in Hades, but you know what it did? It, it condemned them. It judged them. And then he went over and preached in Abraham's bosom, and all those Old Testament saints became saved. You know, they believed in God. They had a relationship with God. Moses, Joshua. Uh, Moses had an experience face-to-face -face with God in the fire and the cloud, you know, that was there. But they didn't have the personal relationship with Jesus Christ like we do today. So they need to be preached to. Solomon and David and Elijah and Elisha, all these had to be preached to so that they understood the gospel also. And what Jesus Christ did, he was ordained before the very foundation of the world to become the Savior and the Lord of all. And so he descended and preached, and then he took out captivity out of Abraham's bosom and took them to heaven with him. So he descended and he ascended, and then he came, and that's when they saw him as a resurrected Lord. Awesome, huh? Anyway, then he gave gifts. He called some to be apostles, some to be prophets some to be evangelists, and pastors and teachers. And it's awesome how that works, that all of us are gifted to do certain things. And so I always tease. I said, boy, I'm sure glad the Holy Spirit goes with me because I sure would have short sermons whenever I travel if he didn't show up. Because I like to preach, and I'm a decent teacher, but when you go places, they're not wanting you to come to teach them long diatribes of doctrine. They want you to come and light the room up with the power of the Holy Ghost. And so we do that. We, we use, utilize, not use, but we utilize those giftings of the Holy Spirit to reach people and touch people. And that's why when we get words of knowledge and words of wisdom. But then we see number three, He, Christ, He fills all things. So he went down and he went up. He filled everything. He's, his presence filled the universe. The Holy Spirit 
you can't see them. I was explaining uh, to somebody today about how you can't see Jesus now. You can't see the Holy Spirit. I can't see the, the oxygen in the air. But I know this, if I don't have it, I'm going to die. I need to breathe. Good old southern Missouri air. You go over by the coast and you do that and you'll smell salt in the air. You know, it, it's good. you got to have oxygen to live. Uh, that man that was dead in uh, Guadalajara, sitting on the third or fourth row, when he expired there, Isaac was my translator, and we went back there, and we commanded death to release him and life to enter him again and for him to come back. And he took a big gulp of air. And then he looked up like, and he was white as a sheet, you know. And then he turned pink, and then, you know, the color Mexican. Uh, he turned his color again. And he looked, and he's like, what is going on? Well, what was dead came back to life by the power in Jesus Christ's name. Jesus fills it all. So if he is the one that you put a demand on, then he can raise somebody from the dead. He can fill them with the Holy Ghost and fire. He can pour out his spirit and cause people to act kind of funny sometimes. I was talking to somebody today at lunch and his girlfriend. I said, when are you going to bring your girlfriend to church? He said, oh, I don't know. I said, you know, if something hits her just right, she acts like a Pentecostal, and she just goes off. I said, well, you know what? She'll be in the right place. It's all right with me. Let it happen. It might turn on some adrenaline in our service, you know. I know when Sister Rocky shouts, it makes goosebumps go up my neck, and then I have to shout, you know. There's just something about that, see. But I, I said, don't let that be an excuse, you know. Anyhow, I'll move along. Number four, teaching. See, we talked about educating, indoctrinating. And then the third thing is teaching. Teaching is about a subject and increases your knowledge. Teaching is not just so that you gain, you know, uh, and I'm going to explain this even better. Number five, training is about a task and increases a person's skill. See, you learn by the teaching information. And then you have training, and that's how you learn to do something with the information that you get. See? And then number six, equipping is about a person and how it increases their capacity. So you have a lot going on. You're educating and indoctrinating and teaching, training, and then equipping. And that's bringing a person to where they have a greater capacity to do the ministry. You learn things by doing sometimes. Sometimes you do things by faith and nothing happens. But then if you practice enough and you train enough, and then when the time comes and it's a person at the right place at the right time, something great happens. Hallelujah. And somebody can be raised from the dead. Blind eyes can be opened. Deaf ears can be opened. It's pretty awesome what transpires. And so we see in Colossians 1.27,
Pastor Ken. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. See, uh, when people are hung up on religion, religiosity, they go through a form, but not necessarily do they have something that happens that becomes more experiential. I say that because the world, they would say that we charismatics are existentialists. Why is that? Because we love an experience. You know, then somebody else that's not worried about if you feel anything, then they are an intellectual. They have this high knowledge and they can talk about it. But I want to talk about it and feel it, don't you? So, you know, we want something to happen inside of us and through us. Then 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 and 31. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Richard did a great job last week of teaching us about going through, you know, repentance and, and getting the righteousness going, and then the judgment falls. And you know, I talk about judgment. Judgment can be bad and good. Amen? It can be bad if somebody's living in error or in problems that they have created. But it can be good if you're following Christ correctly. And when you do follow him correctly, then you see the power of God released in your life and into others. So, you know, it's a wonderful thing, you know, when it's going on. Let's look at statement number two. I've given you several points, six points. Let's look at second statement. Many miss the mystery of Christ. Like the forest and the trees. You know how they said you can't see the forest for the trees. The glass is half full or it's half empty. People all have a different perspective on life and on the Spirit of God, how He's moving. And so many people miss the mystery of Christ. The mystery is, wow, we are sinners saved by grace because of what Jesus Christ Himself did. He was crucified and raised from the dead, that's hard for us to fathom. It's hard for a person to understand. Why would somebody die for me? Why would he give his life for me? You know, to, uh, you know, uh, why am I so special? He did it for the whole world. He didn't just, just do it for you. He did it for everybody. The problem is many people miss that mystery of Christ and him crucified. And you're not going to earn it by works. You're not going to earn it by doing religious rituals. You're not going to earn it by keeping all the feasts like the Jews do. You're not going to earn it by uh, doing things uh, this way or that way. It's, it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, number seven point is this. There is a... Oh, I didn't read the scriptures, did we? Read Galatians 2.20, I'm sorry. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, that's a long verse. But it's true. You're not living for yourself when you come to know Jesus. Man, I tell you what. There is a, one of my schoolmates in college passed away from COVID last year. He had some other health issues. He was one of my roommates' younger brother. They lived on the same dormitory floor that I did. And they're going to have a special memorial service for him at James River Assembly of God Church in Springfield. That's a huge place. But he used to work there. He was one of the pastors at that church. He was in the business department or whatever. And so I'm wrestling with the fact I may go to that service because I'll see a lot of my old college friends there that I went to school with. But, you know, when I went to Brother Gorman's, God got a hold of my life to such a degree. Was, you know, we pulled some pranks. We did some things I'm not proud of. My dormitory floor, they painted a water tower one time. They put our dormitory name on it. Uh, they stole a big bull from Sirloin Stockade and pulled it with a truck and put it out on Scott Lawn between the administration and my dormitory. Now, I wasn't in on that one, but I was in on some other stuff. But, uh, you know, I played around a lot. And so when I went to Brother Gorman's and I was called to preach and I got my life together, I was so turned on for the cause of Christ. You know what I did? All those younger guys that I kind of misled to go do pranks and stuff like that, I wrote them a letter. I wrote like 10 guys a letter. And I said, look, I'm not the guy I used to be. And you need to think about it. You need to think about your life and who you're serving, and don't go down the wrong road. And I sent it to them. You know, I didn't even know anything about the 12 steps. You know, the 12 steps, at one point, it, doesn't, it says not to just acknowledge the harm you did, but one of the steps comes back after. What is it, sixth or seventh, eighth step? Anyway, it says, then you try to make amends. Well, and that's what I was doing. I was making amends to these younger guys, telling them, don't go this way. It's not fruitful. Make something of your life. Make good grades. Do something. Get through school. You know, don't play around so much. And uh, I said, you can be blessed. And I told them, I'm serving Jesus, you know. But I didn't want them to blame guys like me for them going the wrong direction. I have a clean conscience about that. Well, this guy that passed, he wasn't a bad guy, but he hung out with all them boys, and he was one of the ones that I wrote a letter to. See? And uh, so I know he served the Lord. I know he was a good guy, and I'm so happy. He made heaven his home, although he was like two years younger than me. His brother was my roommate. And his brother became a music pastor for a while, then he became a pastor, a college professor. He's smarter than me, so he went a little farther in that direction. But anyway, <laughs> Romans chapter 6, 4 through 6, and verse 11 also. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you ever talked to people that have addictions and problems and they're not happy? They're struggling. And they, they're always trying, well, why, what do I have to live for? Or what? Well, you know what? They got a wrong perspective. They don't need to live. They need to die. I'm not talking about die and, and, you know, not breathe anymore and go to the mortician. I'm talking about they need to die to their own selves. They're so selfish. And I say that carefully. But they're selfish because all they're thinking about is, oh, me, and what am I, and what's going on, and, and I've got this problem or that. You know what? Just die to it. Give up. That's what I did. I gave up, and then I said, I'm going to live for you, Lord. I'm going to become a radical. That's why I could go to the projects in New Orleans. And I was the whitest guy in the whole community. They wanted to hire me because the guys that played in the gymnasium thought I was cool. I played basketball with them. I took rock groups in there, Christian rock groups. We had concerts, and they were handing out methadone you know, for the heroin addicts. And, and I had an older man, I, I, you know, just on and on. Anyway, I went places where I shouldn't have gone because it wasn't safe. Always teased because there was boys that I brought to the church that were athletes, and I don't know that it was Marshall Falk and, what, and Isaac Bruce. They lived in the Desire Project. They're Hall of Famers in the National Football League today. They're Christians. Well, guess what? Somebody influenced them. I'm not saying it was me. It could have been me. I took two boys with me to church several times. Lucy, I met her. The first time I met her, I had these two little boys with me, about 9 and 10 years old, right around there that I met in the projects, and their mamas let them go to church with me. People said, you're crazy. You're going to take them boys back in there after dark? I said, me and God's angels. But we're not going straight back. We're going to McDonald's first. We're going to have a happy meal, and they're going to have a toy when they go back. See, I died. I wasn't white. I wasn't black, I wasn't rich, I wasn't poor. I died. All I was was a servant that could be used in the hands of God. And you know what? It was fun. It was fun playing basketball in the project. It was fun preaching the gospel with the Christian rock groups. It was fun taking these little boys that everybody said I was nuts to go in there and pick them up anyway to church to where they could get saved, to where maybe they're in the National Football League Hall of Fame today. Maybe. Could have been. I don't know. 
I can't say it for sure, but I almost feel like it could have been. These are some good little athletes. But anyway, there is number seven, a divine mystery where Christ floods us with expectation and glory for our testimony. There's something that happens when you enter the mystery zone. You enter that place called Christ, the place of the anointed, and you yield your life and you die to your flesh and you live in Christ. And he begins to use you to talk to people. I used to witness on the lakefront when I first got called into the ministry and talked to people and just, you, you name it. I wasn't afraid. I should have been afraid in the flesh, but I wasn't because God had his hand on me and he flooded me with expectation and it became part of my testimony. Hmm. God is good. Number eight, he is our message and we die to our old selves and embrace the newness of life in him. He is the message. He is our message. I'm not who I used to be. I'm different because of Christ. Hello. What does 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 say? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Awesome. We're ambassadors for Jesus now. You join the army, what do they do? It's John and Nelson and Tim and Zach all went to the army at the same time. You know what? They'd all have the same haircut. <laughs> It'd look like me. It's called number one blade. Because they take away your, your extra identity. You're no longer this or that. You are who they want you to be. They break you down and they rebuild you the way they want you. When we're in Christ, it's not me, cool Kevin. It's me, Kevin the servant. You know, you become what God wants you to be. Some people think, oh, you're just a robot now. Well, if I'm a robot, at least I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm going to heaven. You can either go to heaven or hell, one or the other, but it's your choice. You want to ride with me, let's run. Let's go. Let's do it. But we have a life when we're in Christ. And it's the message and not ourselves. Anyway, I've had some wonderful experiences in that. Number nine, we are in Christ, and because we're in Christ, we're also in God, because guess what? Christ is in God. He is part of the triune Godhead. And so we see John 14 and 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's number 10. He's, all, he's the whole package. He's the way, the direction. He's the truth. 
You're going to know what you are, where you are, where you're going, and he is the life and how you're going to live until you get there. What a journey it is. Brother Nelson, I'm so excited to make the journey to heaven. I'm just not going all the way there yet. I'm on my way. We are going his way. We are going in his truth, and we are going with his life. What an exciting way to live. And we look to Solomon's wisdom because I've read this before, but go ahead and read it again, Pastor Tim. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Is that it? Okay. You heard it. He's going to show you the way. Trust him. Don't doubt him. He's guiding you. He's leading you. Sometimes I go someplace and, you know, I, uh, I was thinking about my wife's Jeep. It's getting a lot of miles on it and it's having some issues. So I've been looking around. I don't want to be erratic in my choice with her. But I've been looking and I was talking to one of the Christian car salesmen today and he said, oh, we, we got this vehicle in over here. i got to tell you about it. They just got it in. Nobody's even looked at it yet. I don't know that we're going to get it to replace the one she's got because she's having issues. But, you know, I thought, Holy Spirit, you're always guiding me. You're always leading me. And you might even lead me to a better deal. Everybody say, I need a better deal. Well, God can bring you one. He can lead you. Stand with me tonight. Thank you, Lord. You're an awesome God. You're great and mighty. And I am excited about living for you. You are awesome to live for and to walk with. Bless us all as we leave here tonight. Let us be a witness of your glory. And let us know you like we've never known you before. Bless us with your presence, Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to God. We'll go on the grace of God and His truth. I hope you gain something tonight and you feel encouraged and ready to roll. Be careful out there now.